0: Hello, Diane Kamikaze here. My guest today is Mr. Steve Diggle of Buzzcocks. Spoke to him on April 9th, 2015, about a week before they flew to New York to play. Let's hear what Mr. Diggle has to say. Thank you so much for being on the show. My special guest today is Steve, Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks. Oh, I'm just going to sit here and like wiggle in my seat for a minute because this is really, really wonderful. How are you?
1: Um, I'm good, thanks, yes. um, We've been touring in, um, we did uh, Germany and Holland, and uh, about a week ago we got back from Spain. We did five shows on there, which was good. And, of course, the next four shows are heading towards the States.
0: Yes, you are. You're going to be at Mm -hmm. Irving Plaza April 16th, the Stone Pony on the 17th, in Baltimore on the 18th, and then you're going to be doing the Late Night with Seth Meyers show on the 20th.
1: Oh, good. Well, you know, we'll be promoting our new album. Um, we'll be playing songs off that, the new album, The Way, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: That album, was was that a Pledge music record? It was, yes. How was that? Yeah. How did that go for you?
1: Well, um, <clears throat> we just figured, figured it was a new format to try. And it, it's almost like... Um, Back in the early seventies, people used to, um, you know, order a record, and it'd take a few weeks to come in. You know, right? <laughs> Back in the dark ages. That's true. So it's was, it was kind of like pre-sales, really, and it means uh, your actual fans are voting with their feet for the record. Mm. Um, so you know, it's it's the fans' record as well because they kind of made it. Not really a record company, you know. So we figured out, you know, it's a new way to try things. Was
0: it a way to connect with the fans more also? Were you on the site a lot looking at the, the,
1: uh, well, the comments? We, um, you know, we had different ranges of different vinyl and different things going on, a lot more than we can do with record companies these days sometimes, you know. Yes. Um, so there was, was a lot more choice of the novelty things. Um, it's even coming out on cassette, which I'm excited about.
0: Oh, nice!
1: <laughs> In the states, yeah. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, four gold records. Um, I'm hoping when I come to uh, come over, um, I'll be getting my copy, of, uh, you know, on a cassette.
0: <laughs> nice, nice.
1: Are you are you a record collector, Steve? Well, I have a lot of records. I, yeah, I must have been over the years. You know, over fifty years. I think I have collected a lot of records. You know.
0: And you still have them? You still have your vinyl?
1: I still have them all, yeah. It's one of those things where they kind of said, oh, you should throw them away, and there's new things called CDs, and then they're telling you to throw those away, you know. But um, there's something on of a person about when you're a teenager and you're buying your first albums, you know.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and... Flute... And if
1: you've still got them with you all that time, then, uh, you know... They've been and... through a few houses and a few things, but... You kind of look at them and you know every mark on the record sleeve, you know, um, with some of them. Um, So, yeah, you know, I've still got them all. I could never throw them away. I mean, they they kind of mean, well, they're like life itself, you know.
0: (laughs) Oh, they are. And well, especially for you, there's, Mm. you know, being a musician and having it be almost like a, a scrapbook for you. Do you know what the first record you ever bought was?
1: Um, the, the the first um, first album was um, was the Beatles' Help. I was about twelve years old then, but it was a big deal going to the shop because they were expensive in those days, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that was back in about sixty four or five. So, um, but um, I had a whole bunch of records that I think somebody gave me. I made a swap and. Uh, one of them was the Beatles' Twist and Shout, and uh, I think there was a Rolling Stones record there. And um, there's also Elvis's Wooden Heart, which nice. um, back in about 1963, that made me laugh or when everybody when came out. Um, I, was, I used to wonder what the German bit was in the middle. Steech You Lady most, you know. So I'd got a bunch of records there I had to root through. I think I'd swapped them for something else, singles anyway. Mm. Well, I mean, you... um, But then you go on the whole journey of discovering, you know, uh, everything, isn't it? from John Lee Hooker to Chuck Berry and Little Richard and stuff like that. Because Little Richard was on the TV over in our local station in Manchester. um, Very early on, you know, some great black and white footage. Um and uh it's probably on the YouTube now, but it's still as excited as ever that stuff, you know.
0: So was there a lot of um of like music on T V when you were growing up?
1: Well these like I say, these kind of programs they was um these were like made by a local T V station, so they have like f Monk on doing some jazz and weird stuff like that, and Little Richard and stuff. Wow. And of course, uh, a bit later on in the 60s, then there was uh, a program called Ready Steady Go and Top of the Pops over here. So it started to get like popular kind of chart shows, but you know, it started to crystallize and formulate into some kind of charts or some kind of 60s, swinging 60s kind of TV events, you know. But those other things were, you know, when Little Richard was on and stuff, that was before they knew how to handle pop music,
2: you
1: know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, uh, But yeah, so you'd watch all that, you know.
0: And and what would you say for yourself was really an early influence? And Did you start off by playing guitar? I know in the Buzzcocks you started off playing bass on the Spirals. Yeah, screen. I only
1: played the bass for six shows. And Howard Howard, and I moved over to guitar, you know? okay,
2: because
1: mm-hmm. I didn't, really, I wasn't really a bass player as such. It's just that I kind of run into those other guys, and and I had a bass, you know. But really, I really, I, I was, I was going to meet another guy and form my own group and uh, and play the guitar, you know. <laughs> That's
0: a good <laughs> which, thing that which didn't just, it happen. works
1: out in a weird way in this yes. in the just Actually, I think we did about six shows with Howard, and then he left, and I moved. it was a good opportunity for me to move over to and I'd, I'd written a song at home called Fast Cars, which is a lot slower than Buscalls do it, but uh, I had that, and I was going to form my family sort of guy, you see. Oh. And um, I arranged to meet him, and I met Pete Howard instead by accident. <laughs> really? Yeah, introduced by Malcolm McLaren.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness! How funny!
1: Who actually thought I was somebody? Uh, I, he, he thought I, um, they was expecting somebody else, not me, and I was expecting to meet somebody else. Wow. So the two different people we were supposed to meet, um, we never actually met them. We, we met each other instead, if you will. <laughs> That's great. So that's a weird twist of fate.
0: It It certainly is. And it's it's a nice, uh, we have all benefited Uh, from that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I I did, you know, the bass, uh, well, on Spiral Scratch, I played bass, and then I think we did about six or eight shows, and then Howard said he was leaving. So at that moment, I said, well, look, when he left, it's like, look, I'll move over to the guitar, and let's get another bass playing, and then I'll feel a lot better, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Just like Jimmy Page did in the Yardbirds, too. Yeah. Right, and and then uh, Jimmy Page was playing bass in the Yardbirds
2: mm-hmm.
1: when he kind of started out with him. There you go. And then moved over to guitar, and he was uh, forming a band called the New Yardbirds, which became Led Zeppelin.
0: Yes, yes. What else? But did- he
1: started out on bass as well, so it's uh, it's a weird rule really. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: What else do you have in common with Jimmy Page?
1: Oh, a lot of things. Um, girls, drugs, you name it. <laughs> <laughs> bull whips. <laughs> Somebody gave one um, in the Atlanta, Georgia. They said you can have anything you like in the shop. Kind so like, you know, I've got all the T-shirts, you me, and all the rest of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, uh, I love the bull whips. <laughs> That's funny. That was a long time ago. <laughs> so... um, what- um but yeah, I mean, you know, um, kind of grew up with Led Zeppelin before punk and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Like the v had split up and Led Zeppelin, so sort of, it was like the new wave then, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. So and, and going back to when you switched from bass to guitar, that was also when Howard left the band. What was, was it, was it really... Terrible, was it like all right, he's leaving and you didn't care? Was it so early in the band's formation that it didn't really upset things, or or what was actually going on at the time when when uh, how well,
1: left? me and Pete were sat in his house and he just came in and all of a sudden said, I've achieved what I wanted to do, make a record, I'm leaving, you know. Oh, so we we kind of looked each other when I was shocked for about a minute and then said, well, we're going to carry on, you know, because we have just started, you know. So it was the best thing you did, really, because mm-hmm. you went off all magazine, and then it, it, the Buscocks really became the Buscocks. I don't think it would have been to carry on much longer, you know, mm. with Howard in there, really.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you, um, the Buscocks, you- as we know, them, love them now, you know, it, uh, with the two guitars and all that. Um, you know, that was all meant to be. So it it was kind of good in a way, yeah. mm-hmm. So and, and in another way I was a bit separate from the rest of us in a sense, you know. Um whereas me and Pete gelled a bit more so on, on a, a practical working level it it it's um it it made more sense out there, you know. Yeah. So um, you know, like you say it was a it was a little surprise because we thought, well, that's the line-up. And then, you know, we soon turned it round and um, developed a unique style from there, really.
0: So are you a fan of magazine?
1: Oh, yeah. Yes, I, uh, I, um, yes, yeah, so, you know, yes, I, I, I was a fan of magazine, yeah, yeah. So I I thought I that that suited hard better, really, you know. Um,
2: well, and also, you
1: got two vans for the price of one with him leaving. You know. Right, <laughs> right, ex- exactly. <laughs> you know, kind of got a supermarket deal out of it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's um yes, yeah, I was a fan of magazine, and huh?
2: mm-hmm.
1: but um I wouldn't, you know, the bu the bus coach couldn't have uh, dragged the bus coach through all that. What magazine we're doing really, you know.
0: Well I think it, um, it i think his leaving freed the Buzzcocks up to to oh, really absolutely yeah. Yeah. To well it
1: became a different band, you know, um there was a different sense about it. So I think he did about six or eight shows or something and then he left. So it it was all pretty quick when he was with us. But um um when he did leave, like you say, he did free us up a lot more, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, of course, then we had about seven or eight hits in the charts here and all that kind of stuff, you know. It um, it became more of a band, more of a four way pull, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, it was a lot sexier, you know. <laughs> if you look at those other guys on the early pictures and albums, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> There must have been, that must have been an amazing time, just in terms of the music explosion and the club scene, and how old were you at that time?
1: Um, 20, going on 21. Okay. When we started, um... So you were more uh, or yes, less an um, adult. Seems very young now, but at the time, we, we felt really old, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, but, um, um it, it was a magical time, particularly right in the beginning, you know, um... It, um everything was happening, you know, the music was happening, the excitement in the streets and the clubs, you know, each town, they started putting, um, you know, there was different clubs in each town, was, like a scene developed in each place, and, uh, you know, the art, the clothes, everything was good, you know. Suddenly people came alive, like the whole... um. Although oh, the country came alive, and of course it was happening in the states in a different way, you know, it suddenly became global. You've got to remember that time. There was there was no mobile phones or computers. And word of mouth was faster than an email. <laughs> and it was Come all
0: out. you. It was all you had. Really, you had to really dig for it and 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 go out and bring it to yourself.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's amazing how much people knew, you know? It's amazing how many people have heard of all the different bands going around, different songs, you know? That went on the... just on the word of Mouth Network and a few other things, you know? I mean, like I say, wasn't it... it, uh, Like, now we can just put it on the internet. But um, everybody, you know, this kind of punk rock thing connected with the world, you know? By that moment, so it was, it was a very exciting time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in at the time, I mean, I, and I certainly don't know if you can remember, but did you know that that period of time was going to be remembered forever as really like the fuel and the foundation of a whole generation of of music that really made a difference for people?
1: No, you, 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 yeah, you knew there was something kind of special about it, but. I remember doing a double take sometimes and thinking, is this going to be, you know, is this for a few weeks just like, you know, to create this excitement and stuff? Or is it, um, is this going to be history, like legendary history in a few years, is mm. I, I, I do remember thinking that a couple of times at the time, but not really saying, you know, it wasn't like, I wasn't overly worried about it, but I thought, wow, this is so incredible. It might be a moment in years to come in. Because people did become alive and um, it affected people in many ways. It was a very powerful force. Um, So, um, it was, you know, beyond just making songs and music, it was like an attitude, whole way of thinking. You had to, you had to, when you listen to those, punk records at that time, you had to rethink your whole consciousness about how you listen to music and what it's doing to you, you know. It wasn't just simply entertainment. You know? And so I think that was very powerful, I'd say, for a whole generation, you
0: know? Oh, and for generations to come, for sure.
1: And generations to come, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of those records, I mean, a lot of our Buzzcock's records still sound like they made last week. <laughs> You know, they do. Which amazes me because at the time we'd go in and make these records, mm-hmm. and you didn't think how you know you weren't worried how long they're going to last. But um, they still sound as fresh. That's something you know we we didn't predict or really thought about when we was making them. But um, when you hear them, like I say, they they still sound as relevant now as ever. You know.
0: Well, and I I think. And I think there's something about the Buzzcocks music inherently that just does sound fresh by virtue of your style. I don't even know mm-hmm. quite how to say that in any other way. But, um, yes,
1: I mean, we did have a very distinctive style, that's true, you know. There was only, There's only one Buzzcocks, you know.
2: Yes. Really,
1: but you can hear call. You could hear echoes of bus talks and other people's records. Oh,
0: and mm-hmm. many, many... We got going,
1: because yeah. we were coming like early on the block with the clash and the pistols and stuff. Mm-hmm. We were like the first people on the block over here, back in 76. In- but um, we definitely did have a, a, you know, a definitive, unique sound, you know. Um, and... Um, I think that's what sets us apart from a lot of people, you know. I mean, the songs were always important, we always had a sense of the songwriting and the riffs and the, all the things. You always got a good guitar riff with a, a Buzzcox song, you know, which was like a little tune in itself, you know. Yeah. A little piece in itself. Yes, yes. And of course the backing vocals and the rocking guitars, you know. Um, But there's a certain way of playing and a certain way of doing it. That's the chemistry, particularly between me and Pete, you know. Right, yes. And it's something we've never actually practiced or sat down and concentrated on. It's something that's just come really natural, you know.
0: Yeah, something that can't be reproduced. You hear influence everywhere. Um, Back in the, you know, when the whole sort of punk scene was starting, I... I know that you were in the scene. Was there any distinction made between like distinguishing punk and pop? Like if I were to describe the Buzzcocks music, I would I would always say hard pop or punky because I never felt that there was there was hardly ever arrogance. It was always your lyrics were always just very wry and fun or, you know, about love like not not so much about society and, you know, or, like, clash-type subjects. Did you ever distinguish between, like, pop versus punk in that time? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, with uh, Smile, Scratch and Boredom, I think we were very punky, you know, and then we had that song, Orgasmatic, which was really quite punky.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And a song called Old S*** and stuff. But he was like, "Okay, we've kind of done that now, um, and we made more like perhaps a big tune for records." We, you know, we we had to move on and look for other things. Um, and plus the fact there was a there, we started with the nucleus of the damned and the pistols and and the clash and that, and they all seemed to be separate. Um, got a sensibility about things but um, it seemed like our class of 76 when other punks came along it seemed a lot different from what we were doing you know um, you know people kind of finger pointing and simply blaming the government we knew the world was a lot more complex than that you know? so our literature were a little bit more existentialist or you know looking at the world <clears throat> Uh, in a, say saying a more complex way than simply screaming and shouting about you mm-hmm. know the government's wrong or something because there seem to be a lot as well, that kind of thing which um they're all welcome for the party you know but um I don't think they made the greatest records you know somewhere else kind of band but they mm-hmm. they're there for all part of the scene you know.
0: Well, and especially, you know, from my view from the States, it's like you guys and really like The Damned had love songs and had more relatable music, you know, relatable lyrics to yeah.
1: kids. Uh, yeah, I mean, we sang about a human condition, you know? Yeah, know, I mean, like Shakespeare in a way. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, um, and people can relate to that on many levels, you know. And also, it's like, like we are being human on the records don't sound like we're trying to bull**** people with something, you know. Don't sound like we're trying to make a hit to, you know, win them over and twist their minds into thinking they've got some catchy song, you know. Right. There's a kind of realism on there as well, as uh, a romantic thing. But, um, but, like I said, we had them early kind of punk ones, and then, you know, we had other ones. We had experimental ones like Autonomy, and White Can't Touch it, you know, it's group. Mm-hmm. And uh, songs are harmony in my head, which is that's definitely not a love song, you know. So we've we covered a lot of ground, really. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: I mean, we're kind of known for a few like kind of love type songs, but we've got about a hundred songs out there. Right. And, and about right. all kinds of things, is it? Right, right. Yeah, no. I'm. I'll say it's a human condition. The whole spectrum. Big, yeah, exactly. Bag of flesh and blood with about it <laughs>
0: And we all can relate to that, yeah.
1: Well, yeah, um, that's the kind of senses side we've got, and perhaps the the deep sea diver and us asked to submerge into our souls to find out who we are or what's going on in that moment.
0: You know. mm. And so, and so, and who, if
1: we can find any treasures hidden deep within us, then we'll we'll try and polish them up and put them in the sun, you know.
0: And so then, who would you say who would who would you say that Steve Diggle is today?
1: Sorry. Is
0: who would you say that Steve Diggle is today?
1: Um. The, well, the same as he was then, but with experience now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. I think um. It's just a broader, Proustian picture, you know. I can see the world in there. Uh, uh, Massive panoramic vision now, is uh, Years ago, there's a lot of things you thought you could see that weren't there, so... But um, I still feel angry and I still feel political and all the rest of it, you know. Mm-hmm. We had songs like, like Sound of a Gun as well and stuff like that, you know. With, uh, why she's a girl from a chainsaw, that's asking a sociological question, so... Mm-hmm. Those are my favourite departments, really. Question in society in a way, isn't it? and that's why I'm here, I really. You know, it's a, a little bit
2: of
1: that, mm-hmm. um. Um, and of course, look out with the guitar, you know. Of course, after, you know, we're all looking for who we are, but then after looking all this time, is it really that important to know every detail about yourself, you know?
0: Just concentrate on having a good time. I don't think
1: anybody really knows themselves that well, you know.
0: Who would want to? Huh? Who would want to? Well, exactly, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: If you knew yourself, everything about yourself, there's nothing to discover, you know.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. Have fun and get to you'd know be others. You'd a
1: perfect human being. In fact, you'd be an android. And <laughs> <laughs> you'd be a creation made by society, you know.
0: <laughs> um, I have a question here from a listener. Um, we have a we have a live comments board, and a listener asked, um, "How much was the band involved in the record designs? Um, about concerning the seven-inch covers that Malcolm Garrett d- designed way back, the singles?"
1: Um, yeah, quite a bit. I mean, particularly on the the first one, because I spent a I remember staying up till six o'clock one night with him in the morning. Um, when we are just finished in the studio and he brought the album and it was like a collage of uh, all teeth and eyes and stuff. And mm. it took me a few hours to convince him we need a photograph on there to introduce the band, really.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, But the rest of it, and that's on uh, another music in a ki- different kitchen, which is a, a kind of silver sleeve with orange lines yeah. in there.
2: Mm-hmm. But,
1: um, He'd done all that, and uh, I simply asked for the pictures to be put on rather than his collage. So there's a bit of interaction like that, really. He's just a general outline of most of. the still follow the colour schemes and things, mm-hmm. but um, we might probably have been put a bit of input in here and there. On uh, once he comes up with something, you know. But essentially, he had a kind of unique style quite early on, which. Give us a kind of identity in a way. You
0: know. Yeah, that sort of minimal graphic style was just. Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. Quite a lot of the singles are like two colours. If you right. know, it's like two shades of green, or like a brown and a cream was one single. a mm-hmm. kind of way. Now he just put two colours together on something quite a lot of the singles. Um. So, particularly at that time, it was very unique. You know, very. Uh, he had a very distinctive style, and that went hand in hand with the, um, with the um, record, didn't it?
0: Yes, yes.
1: I just wanted to watch that. We wasn't a platform for him to do his whole artwork, and uh, forget that, you know, this is a, a record sleeve for a band, you know? That's mm. okay. it. Because if you look at all them lovely hoo sleeves and kink sleeves, and uh, there's some fantastic rock and roll design from there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, records leave the whole thing in itself, is not it? Oh, yes. And, um, some of the basic standard ones and some of them ones in the 60s um, were fantastic designs. But it wasn't, it wasn't the heart, it was more to do with, like, you know, looking like a record and using the... um, Simple record logos and the logo of the record company and all that stuff, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But all that was beautiful, you know, in mm. its own right, you know? So I used to try and maintain that it still had a bit of old school record look about it as well as a futuristic look,
2: you know. Oh, yeah. That,
1: that was my brief with him, you know. Mm-hmm. Somebody else didn't bother, but he was like, uh, you know. Like I say, it wasn't just a canvas for him to do his artwork on, it was our records or albums, you know. So, but I think we got kind of a balance out of it, you
0: know. Oh, definitely.
1: So yeah. So, that kind of works, you know.
2: Yep, yeah. If
1: there's a yin and yang with it all, and it's all nice, then it, you know what I mean? All doesn't kind of work like that. You've got around that dynamics and a bit frustrating. So, um, But, yeah, you know, it, the sleeps do work. So we had input on quite a lot of them, but he'd have most of the work to answer the question. He'd, he'd turn up with most of the colour schemes and most of the design, and we'd ask him to just move a few things or maybe put a picture here and there or something. Yeah. Um. So, you know, that's kind of work. Mm-hmm. But that was our input, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it, they... Although, in, having said that on the new one, the way Malcolm doesn't do it on that one, so we um, we had a lot of input on that one to make it like a banksy and stuff, you
2: know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Um, if you've seen the album, the way it looks like uh, yeah, it looks the like artist a- over there, Banksy, has sprayed us all on the wall. On
0: the wall, yeah. Yeah, the brick the wall. It's
1: a little different from the Malcolm style, and it mm-hmm. was time for a change, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, yeah. your style was was completely established. Once you establish a style, you can do anything with it. Yeah. You know, or, or yeah. leave it completely, because that'll never go away. It was j- no. just that, that no. you know, the series of the first singles and some of the first albums just had such a look. And it was really, you know, delightful as a consumer, as a, you know, as a music person and buying records. I was, it, was like, it was like a new comic book coming out, kind of like, oh, wow, the new Buzzcocks record. Oh, look at this one. You know, and you started to really get the idea that, that there was a, like it was a series and there was some connection, something that pulled it together. You
1: know. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was really, yeah.
1: really, really. I mean, really um, there was a little bit of playfulness on about consumerism. You know, I, the first album that was released over here. I know it wasn't released in the states, right, away. Mm-hmm. I think singles Got, going steady was the first release in the states, right? But, uh, yes, on Ireland. Over here, we had uh, an album called "No Music in a Different Key," right? And uh, the bag, the plastic bag that came in the uh, Buzzcocks bag, it had a, in huge letters "products" written on it, it, which was the beginning of that, like I say, a little bit of playfulness about the consumers and mm. the sort of side of things. It just had product written on the uh, plastic bag. When, so when you come out of the shop, they had that. They? And uh, I think there's a few other moments like that on the sleeves as well. Um, dealing with the consumer world, or, you know, what i say. Nice. Being flirtatious or playful with it.
2: You know?
1: Mm-hmm. Which was, I guess, kind of different at the time, you
2: know.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, well, it's and... Not,
1: it's almost like you bought a funk record, but we are making you wear your ball products as well, you know.
0: Right, <laughs> you yeah. You had a and
1: bit of a weird... Um,
0: and you guys put yeah, out... Yeah, well,
1: but it might about, you know. But also, it, it did make you think and make you smile as well, yeah. hmm
0: And um, you guys put out the one of the first sort of independent, like, band-produced records, right? Spiral Scratches on Your Own, New Hormones label?
1: Um, yes, we. I mean, the, the, the reason there... Uh, put now we thought we are making the most uncommercial commercial music possible at the time. And if we went to a record company, they wouldn't understand it. So, it's seen as a stroke of genius, but it was also a stroke of necessity that uh, we actually, um, we actually, um, had, had I think it was 500 pounds to um, uh, make a 1,000 singles. Oh, wow. And that's what we did, you know. We, we made the, our own singles just to sell to a, a few local people when we do the show
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, in Manchester. And what happened was, um, um, Trade Records in London that just uh, it, it said that, you know, they'll press up some more for us. So, uh, suddenly it turned into this, um, this sort of, big underground record in a way
2: oh, and it inspired
1: yeah. a lot of people to um, uh, go out and make their own record, you know.
2: Yeah. I
1: mean, I know they were doing that in the 50s in the States anyway, you know, like the little independent labels and stuff, but at that moment in time, people had kind of forgotten about it, particularly in Britain. So it was like, wow, well, you don't have to go to a record company on your hands and knees begging, you know. You can actually make one yourself, you know. Which, it's a weird concept, really. Um, at, at the time, it was like, wow, why didn't we think of that before, you know? You everybody's kind of looking around hoping to get a record here, you know? Right. So I think that opened a lot of doors for, for other people as well, you know. It gave a... A platform for other bands to make records, and uh, but I think he was one of the first on the block, over, if not the first.
0: Yeah, I think so. I know that um, you know, in in the U.S., it was different, and I you know was a huge record buyer at the time, in the you know the seventies and, yeah. and 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 eighties, and and but most of the forty fives yeah. that were coming out, most of the records that were coming out, were on major labels. Like punk was definitely you know, in uh, popular there and a lot of the um a lot of some of the earlier bands in the States did have to put out their own records. Um, yeah, that's right. A lot of
1: bands we took quite a while to sign up to a major label. It was I say we'd we'd put that record out. Mm. So at that time for a while we we almost did you know people were coming to the shows. Every time we almost didn't read a record company at that moment. Right. But Eventually, it was kind of like well uh, there's a demand for these records, so we we couldn't be there, but it, we, you know we we put a few of the um, a few of the records in the picture sleeves. you had to take them out of a a thin white sleeve or just you know standard sleeves. And then put it in the picture one, you know. Yes. Well, after we'd done that for about ten minutes, I mean, it, it drove us mad. We are suffering from alienation, <laughs> And uh, had to go to the pub, you know. So it was like we couldn't carry on doing that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually we did sign. But, uh, I mean, we had made about six record companies come to see us. But we took a long time to sign because we didn't want them telling us what we should be doing and controlling, you know. Our destiny, really. Because the class had just signed the CBS and they were being told what to do and this and that. And, of mm. course, they made records, complaining about the record company, trying to turn them over, you know. Right. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> it's, that's m- It's a, uh, a word inversion. But, um, we um, it was like, well, you know, if we do sign the record deal, we the first record we want to find out oh, is called Orgasmatic. You know mm. uh, that caused uh, you know that caused a lot of d- uncomfort, You know, um, with a few record companies. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when that record was being pressed, um, it, it, it was actually delayed because the pressing plant came out on strike, saying we're not going to print this film. Um, oh. <laughs> um, so it was delayed while the um, record label had to persuade the staff that it was art, you know. <laughs> mm. That all kinds of money was art and not just pure, you know, gratuitous filth.
0: <laughs> Everybody's always going to have an opinion. So the
1: release opinion. date was back three weeks for that. You
0: know? hmm mm-hmm. And hmm uh, And so, so what do you do... These days, that has nothing to do with music. What do you enjoy that has nothing to do with music?
1: You know, I, I enjoy just walking down the streets, people watching, you know. I just keep walking like Forrest Gump, you know.
2: <laughs> well, I know you're
1: running, but... Uh, um, I just enjoy observing things, really. Um, I say walking down the, down the streets, looking like an artist or a poet, like observing people's mannerisms, everything about them, you know. And all the high nice streets of London here or wherever I am, um, it's just amazing to look at all. You know, it's a big art piece, really. Mm. Um, apart from that, I need to, you know, I made three solo albums now. I need to make, I need to get round to make some more. Yeah.
0: Mhm. Well, but the-
1: generally, I just went around uh, observing, really observing the landscape.
0: Mhm. So and the way yeah. is the uh, the latest record from Buzzcocks, and that came out last year. And yeah. you guys are going to be here next week in New York at Irving Plaza, and then you'll be at the Stone Pony. Um, on, that's the sixteenth and the seventeenth of April, and then in Baltimore, and then you'll be doing the late night at with Seth Meyers show. Um, yeah. In in closing, um, I just really want to thank you just for for doing the interview because this was very very last minute, um, but just r- really to thank you for the music, because you know you mentioned before yeah it's like oh well, a couple of generations of people, but that's really a couple of generations of people like. Ch- you've really changed yes. lives, like really. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not a written on the on a piece of paper fact, like real people <laughs> with real hearts beating, like your music.
1: Mute- how many young people come to the shows now? You know,
0: of course.
1: generally around the world are younger people that go to it in bar at the time. Well, like, and you're- that's pretty amazing. You know, it's a test of the body of work, really,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and how we relate to people. You know, um, how we relate to people through those records. So um, it is uh, amazing that, like you were just saying, the generation—you know—it's spanned a few generations now. Isn't it? Yeah,
0: and and um, you've affected you've affected millions of people. If, you if,
1: know, if anything about that, you know. Um, I never thought about it at the time, but I think when I was starting out, I thought if you can affect people in some ways, that would be a great thing, you know. More than just a tune or a bit of fame or success. You know, to be able to uh, have some powerful input um, to inspire people, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, I think at least Buzzcocks are inspired in one way, you know. Even in, 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 um, even for the underdogs or whoever, you know what I mean, it's um, it, you know, it, it, there's still something inspiring about being, just simply being a human. You know,
2: mm. well,
1: I think there's a lot of that in basketball record. You know, it's like look, we all have the problems. You know, we're all facing this and now. We can all climb the mountains. Uh, there's a lot of things going on in those legs you so know, people can relate to and indeed, we're doing the stone pony um I met the boss a couple of times on the when he's played over here uh-huh and, and there stephen yes, and um, he he's got a bus coach. Bruce has got a bus coach record awesome. Yeah, when I met him, I said, "You know, I'm Steve. I'm playing the bus He said, "I know you are, Steve." He said, "I've got all your records at home." <laughs> so that was a great condom. Oh
2: yeah, yeah.
1: So, so now the boss has gone, and then we're we're gonna have his home turf there at the Stone Pony. You know?
0: It's like um, one big circle. Yeah,
1: that's such a little story for the Stone Pond anyway.
0: Yeah, and, and so much so much love and respect for you guys because you, you do really get to speak for us. We can relate to your music. You make our moments better because, I mean, all your songs are really, you know, they sound fun and uplifting even if the lyrics are, you know, wry or, or uncover something that maybe we don't want to talk about. But, but Buzzcocks' music is so relatable and so many people just have gotten so much out of your music. So yeah, thank you. Uh yes.
1: oh, thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure, you know.
0: And I just want to um do you remember coming to WFMU and playing in East Orange, New Jersey many many years ago? Um I um, you had the crazy, of, yes. you had Is the it, you um, had yeah, you had the you had the Winnebago, and that was the day that
1: because I. We get around to a lot of places, but it, 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 it's slowly coming back to me. Well,
0: here's the thing that you might remember because I was there. I actually, I was the I was the engineer on the session, and it was terrible. It was I mean, you weren't terrible, but but it was not the greatest uh, setup. We didn't have a great professional setup, but that was the day that that was the day that IRS records went under, and they were going to take the Winnebago away. Wow. <laughs> <was> so, delicious. <laughs> but so so thank you and thank you for being a friend of WFMU cuz you guys have been in our history also for decades. You know, yes. and what oh, you what you, you. bring yes.
2: well,
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, and what you um, bring to the world, you just bring, you know, wonderment and and uh and cheerfulness and wonderful music. Oh. And uh all I mean Buzzcocks songs are masterpieces, you know. So
1: well, thank you so much for that, you know, it's, um, um I suppose it's just about some reason why you, why we do it, you know, um, Good. that's the, that's the, uh, thing, Is um, you know, it does, it mean a lot to us as well, you know, we, 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 we put a lot into it in our hearts and souls, you know, you do. Um,
0: very much. Not very so. passionate
1: about it in a way, you know. So, uh, um, I'm glad it's been received like that. You
0: know. Absolutely. So, mm. um, I'm gonna let you go, and I'll just say that the latest Cox record is called "The Way," and mm. Cox will be, uh, playing performing at Irving Plaza on April 16th in New York City at the Stone Pony on April 17th, in. Uh, yeah. Asbury Park, New Jersey, and at the Soundstage in Baltimore the 18th, and then you'll be on Late Night with Seth Myers on the 20th. Steve Diggle, thank you very, very much, and uh, everybody loves you. I've got all the listeners. I have a comments board here, and people are just like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Fabulous, major respect, and uh, the buzz, uh, You know, the band mm-hmm. endures, and uh, thank you for so much for your time.
1: And well, yes, have a pleasure. Thanks very much. I'm really looking forward to coming over and um, and playing the shows, you know?
0: Yes, absolutely. That's,
1: that's one of the things the Buscocks do best, make exciting shows.
0: <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're really looking forward to it. Enjoy the rest of your day, sir.
1: Okay. Thank you very much. And uh, I might go to the pub after this now and have a British pint of beer. <laughs>
0: there you go. All right. Yes. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Okay. And uh, we're looking forward to coming over and playing. Excellent. Bye.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And that wraps things up. Thank you to Steve Diggle for making the time. It was almost an impromptu phone call. If you knew what I went through to get that, you would be laughing. The podcasts are managed by Liz Berg, and for WFMU, I am Diane Kamikaze. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in.